I wonder if you saw the recent news story about a Turkish woman called Hatun Tash. Hatun is a Christian who regularly speaks at Speaker's Corner down in Hyde Park. She's a former Muslim, and week after week she goes there to challenge Muslims about their belief in Islam and to preach the gospel. And she made the news recently because two Sundays ago, on the 25th of July, she was slashed across the face by a man wielding a knife while she was standing at Speaker's Corner. But this wasn't an isolated event. She's been physically and verbally assaulted over the last few years she's been going there. She has regularly received Osman warnings from the police, warning her that there is a very real threat to her life if she keeps going to Speaker's Corner. In an interview last week, she was asked if she would finally stop going now that she had nearly lost her life. And she said, those people don't know Jesus. People are dying without knowing they can be forgiven. And I believe the Lord still wants me there. While I'm still breathing out and breathing in, I will still preach the glorious gospel there until the Lord makes it clear I should go somewhere else. Last Sunday, a week after being attacked, Hatun was back at Speaker's Corner preaching the gospel. She was probably there today. Now, I'm telling you about Hatun because she is a great modern example of what Paul is writing about in this passage. We may not all be called to stand in Speaker's Corner. By God's grace, violence and verbal abuse are not daily realities for at least the vast majority of us. It's not something we should go looking for as Christians. But in this passage, we're going to see that like Hatun, we are called to proclaim Christ urgently. We are called to live a life of great endurance through suffering that commends Christ to everyone. And we're called to do so believing that Christ is enough. To know that if we have Christ, we possess everything. That no matter what happens to us, we will still serve him. That's the model of ministry Paul gives to us here in 2 Corinthians 6. And Paul gives the Corinthians this model of gospel ministry because he is still trying to convince the Corinthians of what an authentic minister of the gospel looks like. Paul's had to do that because the Corinthians are in danger of being led astray by new people who have come in who have been saying that Paul isn't the real deal. They've been saying that Paul says one thing and he does another. He's got no letters of recommendation. He looks weak and he sounds unimpressive. And it seems they've also been saying that Paul's difficult experiences and his sufferings are evidence that God isn't with him. If God was with him, if God was blessing him, then surely he wouldn't be facing all this trouble wherever he goes. And they've been using all these claims to discredit Paul to the Corinthians and set themselves up as the powerful and impressive ones, all with the aim of getting the Corinthians to leave Paul and start listening to them instead. But as Paul has dealt with these claims throughout the letter, He's been saying that gospel ministry is the opposite of powerful and impressive. If you had to sum up what Paul's defense against them has been, he's argued that genuine ministers know they are inadequate. They know they are jars of clay, but they trust that God is adequate. That he is the one who provides the power to get the job done. 
And he's argued that actually genuine ministry follows the same pattern as Christ. It means always being given over to death, dying to self so that life would be at work in others. And we left off this morning with Paul telling the Corinthians to take pride in this ministry. As Christ's ambassador, he appealed to them to be reconciled to God. Because the very real danger is that if the Corinthians reject Paul's ministry, they leave the apostolic gospel and they leave Christ. And as we will see in a moment in chapter 6, Paul's not quite finished. He is desperate for the Corinthians to realize that as God's co-worker, if they disregard his work among them, they are in danger of receiving God's grace in vain. So he makes another attempt to get them to see what an authentic minister of the gospel looks like. And as Paul makes his argument, he models what it looks like to be one of God's co-workers. Now, as we've said throughout this series, that doesn't mean that what we're going to see in this passage only applies to pastors and church workers. It also applies to each one of us. As remarkable, as incredible as it sounds, by God's grace, we are all God's co-workers. We are all called by God to obey the great commission of sharing the gospel and making disciples. And as Paul defends his ministry in these verses, he gives us a great model for how we're called to do that. So how does Paul model and defend what authentic gospel ministry looks like? How does Paul provide an example for us of what it looks like to be one of God's co-workers? Well, we can, we can make three observations. First of all, God's co-workers proclaim Christ urgently. God's co-workers proclaim Christ urgently. Look with me to verse 1 and 2 again. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Following on from this appeal to the Corinthians to be reconciled to God that we've just had at the end of chapter 5, in the next breath, Paul follows this up by urging them not to receive God's grace in vain. The Corinthians had a long-standing relationship with Paul. He'd lived with them in Corinth. He taught them. When he left, he wrote to them. So the Corinthians have had the privilege of hearing the gospel firsthand from one of the apostles. He's been working among them for a long time. But Paul is afraid that this is all going to come to nothing. He's concerned that they will not respond appropriately to God's word. If they fail to see that he is God's co-worker, that he is Christ's ambassador, and they go with these so-called super apostles, then everything they have heard and received from him will have been in vain because they would be leaving the true gospel. And just in case they didn't get the urgency of the situation across enough, Paul then quotes from Isaiah 49. Now, Isaiah 49 is another one of the servant songs. And the servant songs in Isaiah prophesied about the suffering servant of God who would come and bring God's salvation. And we know that the suffering servant these songs speak about is Jesus. This prophecy from Isaiah has been fulfilled by Christ. God has heard his suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and helped him to complete his rescue mission. 
So the day of salvation began when Christ died and rose again from the dead. But notice what Paul says next. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Can you see what Paul is doing? He's saying that the day of salvation continues with his gospel ministry. As a servant of the servant, he can say that the day of salvation is now. He's telling the Corinthians who are being led astray that to reject him is to miss the day of salvation because to reject him is to reject Christ. And the time for them to sort this out is right now before it's too late. Now, when we read these verses, we need to remember first and foremost that Paul is speaking to the church. He is warning the believers in Corinth that it is possible to receive the grace of God in vain. That's a shock, isn't it? Paul is saying that it's possible to hear God's word and not respond to it in the way we should. And that's a challenge that applies to each one of us. We have pastors who preach the same gospel Paul preached every week. We have access to an abundance of Christian resources to help us align our lives with Scripture. We have small groups, one-to-ones, conferences. When it comes to hearing the Word of God, we have received grace upon grace. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to respond in the way God tells us to? Are we going to stay faithful to the teachings of Christ and His apostles? Or is it going to come to nothing? When God, in his grace, shows us something that requires a response, we need to act urgently. We need to make that our priority. Maybe it's an area of our lives where we know we need to start obeying God. Maybe it's coming back to church. Maybe it's using our gifts and our time to serve God. Whatever it might be, we need to be people who listen and respond. But there's another challenge here for us as well. Paul is saying that the day of salvation continues through his ministry. And the same thing is true of God's servants today. The day of salvation continues as we serve the servant. The day of salvation continues as we preach the gospel of Christ that the apostles preached. Paul is modeling for us what is true for all Christians. We are all called to an urgent mission to call people to respond to the gospel with faith and repentance. Now is the day of the Lord's favor. Now is the day when the people that we rub shoulders with can be saved. So there's a real, real challenge in this passage for us. We're being challenged to live our lives with gospel urgency. When God gives us gospel opportunities, opportunities to form a relationship with a non-Christian, to steer a conversation towards Christ, to be his hands and feet and show people his compassion, opportunities to encourage someone in our church family in the faith, we need to take them. We can't put off gospel opportunities until tomorrow because it might not still be the day of salvation tomorrow. So maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is in my life, in my sphere of influence, are there opportunities to proclaim Christ that I've been putting off? How could I be more intentional about sharing the gospel? 
God might not be calling you to be like Hatun and go to Speaker's Corner. He might not call you to stand to the microphone and preach in the Royal Mile. But he is calling you to be a faithful witness where you are. He's calling you to take the opportunities that he puts in front of you. It might not be the day of salvation tomorrow. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I would be doing you a massive disservice if I talked about this verse and I didn't address you directly. Today is the day of salvation. It might not still be the day of salvation tomorrow. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he opened up a window of opportunity for you to be reconciled to God. And there is a time coming when that window will be closed. And when it closes, those who reject God will no longer be able to find favor with him. Instead, those who didn't take God up on his offer of salvation will face his judgment and his wrath. God calls you today to put your trust in Christ before it's too late. Ask God to forgive you for rejecting him and living your own way. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and follow after him. There is nothing in this world that is more urgent and more crucial for a human being than to get right with God. Okay, so God's co-workers proclaim Christ urgently. The second observation we can make is that God's co-workers commend themselves with great endurance. God's co-workers commend themselves with great endurance. At this point, Paul changes tack and he becomes more direct about what it means to be an authentic minister of the gospel. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So Paul is basically saying that a genuine minister of the gospel lives a life where they practice what they preach. They live a life that commends themselves to others so they won't put a stumbling block in anyone's way that might prevent them from receiving Christ. Now Paul's a guy who loves lists and in the verses that follow, Paul lists all the various ways that he and his co-workers have commended themselves during their ministry. And it's not as clear in the English, but this list has a headline. The way Paul and his co-workers commend themselves is their great endurance. Everything that follows from that first point in this list is what they have endured as God's servants. And those things fall into two categories. They've endured in living a life of sacrifice and they've endured in living a life of godliness. So first of all, notice that they endure by living a life of sacrifice. Look with me again to verse four and five. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. And then down to verse eight and nine, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. Paul desperately wants the penny to drop for the Corinthians that life as a servant of Jesus Christ is not sunshine and rainbows. 
These super apostles who claim that ministry should look impressive and powerful are totally wrong. Paul doesn't want them to be sucked in by their culture that was obsessed with reputation and success. He wants them to realize that looking the business, sounding impressive, means nothing. The true sign of a servant of Christ Jesus is that they look weak. Because they follow after the one who died for all. They follow the suffering servant. So they shouldn't expect God's servants to have an easy ride all the time. They shouldn't expect that everywhere Paul goes to preach the gospel, they're going to roll out the red carpet. They should expect that as an apostle, as a servant of God, Paul will have to endure a lot of opposition. And as he says this, he's saying that they should expect that their own lives won't be easy. If they are following Christ and seeking to make Christ known, this is the pattern their lives will take as well. And the same is true of all those who serve Christ today. Now, Paul's experiences are an extreme case. Beatings, imprisonments, hunger, riots, they're not regular experiences for us. Although for some Christians across the world today, they very much are. And of course, we need to pray for them and support them however we can. But we need to be prepared for the fact that all those who get stuck into gospel ministry will experience some degree of suffering. It's hard work. It's not something that's going to ingratiate ourselves with everyone we meet. Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation. So it comes with the territory that you're going to have to interact with people who aren't reconciled to God. That's kind of the point. And sometimes that can be difficult. If you talk openly about Christ and speak out about the need for salvation, your rapport with your colleagues could go down the drain quite easily. Your family ties could become quite strained. You will lose friends. And if we're serious about commending ourselves to others, if we're committed to not putting a stumbling block in anyone's path so that Christ is commended to everyone we know, that has permutations for our whole lives, doesn't it? It's going to affect where we go. It's going to affect what we watch. It's going to affect how much disposable income we have. It's going to push us out of our comfort zones. It's going to make us let go of a lot of things we'd rather hold on to. But no matter what it is, we need to remember that we follow after the one who sacrificed himself for us. We are called to live a lifestyle of sacrifice. Now, we don't make sacrifices for the sake of making sacrifices. We don't make sacrifices to try and earn favor with God. It already is the day of God's favor. We've already been accepted into God's family when we trusted in Christ. God has already made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The call on our lives is this. It's to be ready to obey Christ even if it comes with a cost. Are you ready for life to be hard if that's what it takes to be a faithful servant? Are you ready to risk losing something if that's what it takes to be obedient? Okay, so God's co-workers commend themselves by enduring a life of sacrifice. Secondly, notice that they also endure by living a life of godliness. Look with me again to verse 6 and 7. 
As well as these difficult experiences, Paul also lists that he endures impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Paul is saying that the evidence that he is a genuine minister of the gospel is that he lives a righteous life. He lives the kind of life you can only live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's authentic because his life is authentic. He practices what he preaches. So the Corinthians should have no reason to listen to those who are casting doubt on his ministry. The evidence that anyone is the real deal is that their lives back up the message they proclaim. If the messenger lives in a way that contradicts the message, then why would anyone hearing the message pay any attention? The day I deleted social media off my phone was the day I watched a documentary called The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma is all about how the social media executives in Silicon Valley aren't on social media and they won't let their kids anywhere near it. Talk about a red flag. If it's not changing the people selling it for the better, then why would I think it was good for me? Why should I trust anyone who lives in a way that contradicts their work? That's not how God's co-workers are to live. If someone works for the Lord, but they live a life that contradicts their work, they are in great danger of discrediting their ministry and putting a stumbling block in the paths of others. And that's a massive challenge to all those who are in pastoral ministry or aspire to pastoral ministry. There's no getting away from the fact that the message is tied to the messenger. Yes, a minister of the gospel must proclaim Christ, but they must also have Christ-like character. And that's an immense responsibility because there's a serious danger that if you go down, others will fall away too. If you've listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast recently, you'll know all about that. Sadly, so often people who have been abused by ungodly pastors leave the church and they leave the faith. So one of the most important things you can pray for your pastors is that they would live up to what they teach in the pulpit. They need God to help them live up to what they proclaim. They need the same means of grace that any other church member needs. But this is also a challenge to everyone who follows Christ Jesus. We all need to live lives that back up what we believe. People are paying attention to how we live. If we aren't walking in the Spirit, if we aren't living a godly life, if our weapon of choice in this hostile world isn't our own personal righteousness, then our words won't matter to them. If we don't speak about Jesus with love, patience, understanding, kindness, if we aren't keeping ourselves pure, they won't want to hear the good news of Jesus from you. We're more likely to put a stumbling block in their path. Now, it's easy to read these verses in panic and think we're not living the life we should be. It's easy to feel guilt and shame and then we feel like we need to do more and more and try harder and harder. But that's not how we should feel when we read this passage. Paul has just told the Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We've already received Christ's righteousness. We've already received the Holy Spirit to help us live like this. 
the right response is to come to God and ask that by his Holy Spirit, he would help us each day to live up to what we've already attained in Christ. To acknowledge that we need his help and ask him to transform us day by day into the image of his son. Okay, so God's co-workers proclaim Christ urgently. They commend themselves with great endurance. Lastly, and very quickly, God's co-workers know Christ is enough. God's co-workers know Christ is enough. Look with me again to verse 10. Paul says he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. At the end of his list, Paul concludes that all these hard experiences have brought him a lot of sorrow in his life. But because of Christ, he always has a reason to rejoice. Paul has been left poor, but he knows that because of Christ, his endurance in gospel ministry is making many rich. Paul's sacrificial lifestyle has left him with very little, but because of Christ, he knows that he has everything. Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize that this endurance is only possible for someone who genuinely has a relationship with God. This kind of endurance is only possible because he's been given this calling calling from Christ. And that's true for all God's servants. The reason that this cross-shaped lifestyle of sacrificial service and godly self-discipline is worth it is because knowing Christ means possessing everything. God's servants need a deep inner resolve that knowing Jesus is worth more than anything they could ever lose in his service. They need to know and believe in their hearts that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we hear the challenge in God's word tonight to proclaim Christ urgently, to commend ourselves to everyone by living a godly and sacrificial life, we need to ask that God by his grace would help us to get to a point in our walk with him where we can truly say that because we have Jesus, we possess everything. Where we can truly say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not Jesus plus my middle class lifestyle. Not Jesus plus the best education my child can possibly get, as important as that is. Not Jesus plus my safety, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything where we can truly say that no matter what may happen in our lives, whatever we risk losing, we have Christ, and that is enough. And to do that, we're going to need the same mindset that Paul's had in chapter 5. We need to keep looking to the day when we will be clothed in our heavenly body. We need to remember that we are new creations already that we are new creations heading for the new creation. That there will be a day when the whole earth is going to be consumed with the glory of God and we're going to have a front row seat. That there will be a day when we will receive abundantly more than anything we have lost in the cause of Jesus Christ. 
as we close tonight, do you believe Christ is enough? Is Jesus Christ the supreme source of joy and satisfaction in your life? Is following him your top priority? Could someone tell that by looking at your life? If you go and look up the interview that Christian Concern did with Hatun, it's immediately obvious, listening to her, that Christ is her everything. That's the kind of life that Paul is modeling to the Corinthians and to us. That's the life that God is calling us to live. Let's ask God that he will enable us to proclaim Christ urgently, to live godly and, if necessary, sacrificial lives with great endurance so that Christ may be commended to everyone.